I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Chicago CityCast with Danny Burke, presented by Bet Rivers. Same outcome, different night with this Bulls team against a top contender in the National Basketball Association. Bulls drop a tough one on the road against Miami and not just drop it, they lose impressively 112 to 99. I'm Danny Burke and welcome in folks to another edition of the Chicago City Cast presented by Bet Rivers. It feels like it's doomsday here in the Chicagoland area. Does that mean it actually is? No, not necessarily, but it still doesn't make you feel any better that the Bulls again not only can't just beat a top team in the NBA. They've only done it once with a winning percentage over 600 being the Utah Jazz, but they can't even keep it close. And we get it. I get it. This Bulls team, again, is dealing with so many injuries that would help you keep it close in these type of settings. Alex Caruso, solid facilitator, brings some energy and solid defense. Lonzo Ball, same exact thing, even a better score. So I understand that it's not doomsday. I understand that it's not the end of the world for this Bulls team. And we also have to take into consideration and realize from a realistic standpoint, and I'm just saying this out loud even to tell myself this, look, the Bulls last season were not even a playoff team. The expectations this season was that they would be. Of course, I had them at best a three seed, at worst a six seed. That was my range of where I think this Bulls team, based on their talent, could end up. So them even being in the number one seed going to the All-Star break was impressive in itself. DeRozan being in MVP conversations is just beyond impressive. We'll talk more about those updated odds throughout the course of the show. But despite these injuries, Billy Donovan said, I mean, you can't make excuses. Everybody's dealing with injuries. Miami was missing Kyle Lowry. Now I know they have been able to overcome that and still be successful. But it's just like they were the way better team and it really wasn't close. The Bulls can't hang with these big boys. And even though you realize they're without Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso. Do you think in this game specifically it would have made that big of a difference? For this game, no. I don't think it would have. The Heat were the better team. They had the energy. They had the hustle. The Bulls didn't. Against the Grizzlies, yes, I do think that would have made a difference. And that would have led to a Bulls victory. But the Heat are a deeper team. They're a more experienced team. And they have a great coach in Spolstra. There's a lot of things to take away from that game last night. And I think a lot of it, well, first things first, 
What stinks is that DeRozan only got 18 points, so the streak of 30-plus points comes to an end. It was inevitable, and if there was a time it was going to happen, you probably thought it was tonight. We talked about the prop yesterday and said, well, at 30 and a half, it'd be under or nothing for me. He kind of looked like he didn't want to be out there in some spots. I mean, his defense, lack of rebounding, that was annoying. I'm not going to lie. But that was from everybody on the Bulls. The Heat were just hustling way more. There were four guys surrounding the ball in multiple occasions, and P.J. Tucker or that Vincent guy would just be sprinting and showing the extra effort and snagging the ball. How are you out there with multiple guys not grabbing these rebounds? That's just a desire play, honestly. That's what it is. It's hustle. It's enthusiasm. It's motivation. And the Bulls didn't have any. They didn't look, they looked like they knew they were the worst team and didn't stand a chance. Yes, Miami was knocking down a lot of their shots, especially from deep. Well, that's your weakness, Chicago. What's your adjustment? None. And this is where I'm going to get critical of Billy Donovan. Over the course of these last two games, and again, I understand these are top competing teams, but there have been little to no adjustments by Billy Donovan. A little bit in that Memphis game, yes. But what was there against Miami? Nothing. You knew what they were going to do because they had done it the previous two times, which is double-team Vooch when he gets the ball down low. For some reason, every time that happened in the first half, it was a damn turnover. You guys are professional basketball players. Defeating a double-team, I actually think, is advantageous because you're drawing another guy to you. All you have to do is cut have your a, a teammate cut and make a quick pass and then you get an easy bucket the heat were doing a fantastic job of that anytime the bulls came over for help there would be a guy cutting down the lane or someone would move and they would have an easy dish to the bucket and get big points that way and consistent points that way what would the bulls do they give it to vooch and they'd panic or they try to force a throw in to vooch Desumu did it a couple times i don't know who else did it but and then vooch just got the ball knocked away from him i mean there was just sloppy carelessness all throughout the offensive side of the ball. No communication defensively. A gross performance all throughout. And folks, you know that I wasn't expecting this Bulls team to beat the Heat last night, but maybe we could keep it close, right? Maybe they could show us that, you know what, screw what everybody's saying, we can compete with the big boys. No shot. You just further prove their argument even more. And I've been touting you, and I've been trying to be objective, still saying that, their ceiling is Eastern Conference Finals, but I'm like, why isn't anybody giving them respect still? This is why. This is why. This type of game. The Grizzlies game, no, that was fine. You'll take that loss respectfully. Yeah, there was annoying things that occurred, but at least you came back and put a valiant effort together, right? There was none of that versus Miami last night. Absolutely none. The Heat went 20-26 from the charity stripe. Bulls went 10-15. They're getting double the amount of free throw attempts you are because they attacked the rim. And they were slashing quicker, which led you to foul them because you're tired, you're lazy, you're reaching in. They shot 77% from the free throw line, Bulls 67%. Oh, speaking of turnovers, Miami had 25 points off of turnovers. The Bulls had just 15. Carelessness. Smarter with the ball. Miami, that's why they're the top team in the East. We talked about fast break. Well, the Bulls not too bad in there. Oh, but the Heat are number one. 14 fast break points last night. The Bulls had just five. Pathetic. I know the defense has taken a hit. We all do. 
and you really only try once it comes down to the wire. But you can't beat teams like this if you're not trying till the end when you just hope you're close. No, it's got to be established from the start. It was apparent that the offensive scheming, play calling, hustle effort was way better for Miami. And that's a nod to Spolstra. That's a nod to the depth and the talent of Miami and the experience and the leadership of Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. The Bulls just play ISO basketball, which against 500 teams or worse is fine. You can get away with that. And that's why DeRozan, and again, I don't want to take anything away from DeRozan. I'm not trying to be doomsday guy, but watching a game like this really just brings to light all the issues this Bulls team still has. You can take advantage of iso ball with DeRozan padding the stats against inferior teams, but if he's only dropping 18 against the Heat, Levine only 22, DeSumo got 18. Look, good for DeSumo, but if DeSumo's scoring more than Vooch, what the hell are we doing? Again, Vooch struggles to show up in a big game. We cashed his prop. We cashed all three props last night, folks. So, you know, I, I'm coming from this from a fan standpoint where I'm just irate from what I'm seeing. I'm happy. We went 3-0 from a betting standpoint. We had Jimmy Butler under 23.5 points. Bulls did a fine job limiting him respectively or uh, reasonably is what I meant to say. And, I mean, he didn't have to play that much, just 29 points, but he end only ended up with 15 points, 4-13 from the floor. We said he'd be limited in the sh in the spots where he shoots a lot, and he was. So we cashed that. Awesome. We cashed Vooch under 17.5 points, and if he had 16.5, still cashed it. He did go 7 of 14 from the floor. Again, cannot make a 3. Oh, a 3 from the floor. Only 7 rebounds, 2 assists, and just ended with 14 points. They tried to get Vooch going early, which is good because that's what you needed to do, but you got flustered. You acted like... I don't know, third graders who saw a double team for the first time. Like, what do we do? Ah, where's the ball? Where's the ball? Turnover. I hope coach an eighth grade basketball team, a feeder team, and we break down full court presses all the time, getting a guy in the middle, escaping the double teams. My team at first, a little bit shook by it. We practiced it, got through it. How are the Bulls incapable of doing that as professional basketball players? It's just bewildering to me that the Heat were able to do a simple double team on Vooch. The Bulls didn't expect it or couldn't capitalize off of it after the first time. You looked like you had no idea what you were doing and you were afraid of the moment. You were afraid of the Miami Heat because you knew they were a better team and were going to win that game from the start. That's what it looked like. A lot of it's on Billy Donovan, 100%. These past two games have been arguably some of his worst, I would say. Again, I understand they are beat up. They are diminished. Good coaches make good adjustments. It's as simple as that. Going on with the props, so we hit Vooch under 17 in the hook. Vooch, again, struggling against another good big or a good team in general. Thank you for the money, Vooch. And then how about Duncan Robinson? Over two and a half three-point field goals made at even money. We cashed that. He hit three. And guess what? We actually spoke this to a T. I said, instead of doing over 10 and a half points, do over two and a half three-point field goals. Because you're getting a better price on the two and a half three-point field goals, which was even money, which we cashed on, as opposed to the over 10 and a half points at minus 113. Because I said, hey, he could still make three threes and stay under his points prop. That's exactly what he did. He hit three threes and only ended up with nine points. So hopefully you're able to cash on that. So we hit Robinson over two and a half threes, even money. 
Butler under 23.5 points, and Vooch under 17.5 points. A great 3-0 effort from our props. Hopefully you were able to tail. And then we nailed the Bruins last night from rush hour. They won 7-0 against the Kings, took them on the money line, minus 125. So overall, an awesome 4-0 night for our bets. Just not an awesome effort out of this Bulls team. You're just proving the doubters. I, you're not proving them wrong, that's for sure. You're just adding to their argument. It's just like the basic fundamentals from this Bulls team just absolutely evaporated once the Heat put on pressure. They were the more energetic team. Caruso's even talking to Billy on the sideline, probably putting some sense into his head because he doesn't know what the hell he's doing when it comes to this pressure. Clearly. Fooch, you're an all-star. Why are you playing like this is your first season? And you were really great in college, and then it's your first season, so it's like, ah, you can't get mad at him getting 14, you know, as a rookie not, but no, you're a veteran. You're an all-star. You should be. You can't falter and disappear in these moments. Be strong with the ball. Freaking box out, man. Come on. Hit your threes or don't shoot them. You're just becoming a liability from deep, and teams are going to let you shoot it from there. But 14 points is inexcusable. Adebayo made you an infant out there. He alphaged you in every sense on that one possession, denied your alley-oop, blocked your fadeaway. I mean, what are we doing? Goodness gracious. He let this Vincent guy, who the hell is he? Who knows? 20 points. Overall, I mean, you had spurts where you were fine defensively. And look, if Lonzo Ball and Caruso were playing, this probably is still a loss, but maybe by like six points or something. But the thing that was just so infuriating was seeing those stupid turnovers when they kept double-teaming Vooch, like you didn't know it was coming, like you didn't know how to quickly and efficiently pass out of it. Just carelessness. I mean, Levine was chucking up questionable shots. DeRozan was chucking up questionable shots. Get some rhythm offensively. Billy, scheme something, my guy. Come on. Play some good defense. I mean, Troy Brown Jr. led back-to-back open buckets out there. He was a liability defensively. But he did have to help. He over-exaggerated the help, but that just opened up the door for so many opportunities. Why? Because the Heat knew how to move without the ball and to pass out of a double team. The Bulls didn't. It's basic fundamentals, folks. And the Bulls couldn't capitalize on it. It's frustrating. You get the heat, not today, but uh, tomorrow, I believe it is, or Thursday, actually. So you get a couple days off to recoup. I don't have that much confidence they'll beat Atlanta. We talked about this game. I put it at a 50-50 because the Bulls struggle on the road. They're 15-14 and on the road. You just beat the Hawks at home, barely. They're going to be looking for revenge. They might just get it. This game probably opens it about a pick them. I'm not so confident in taking the Bulls here, guys. I'm not. But again, it's not the end of the world. You'll get the reinforcements back. I still have confidence in them against most teams throughout the postseason. But the East is deep, man. It is. You can't have that carelessness in the postseason. And we talked about, or I don't know if I was talking about this with a friend or I said it on air, but... I mean, I definitely talked about it with some friends, but do we really know what to expect out of a Zach Levine in the postseason? Can he handle the pressure? Or is he going to be a guy like, say, Julius Randle, most improved player, did nothing in the postseason? It happens to guys. We don't know. 
We just don't know. DeRozan, we know what he can do in the postseason. He's a veteran, but this team is young and inexperienced. It is. Caruso, yeah, he's got arguably the most experienced Booch. Not really a playoff experienced guy. Green, no. Desumu, obviously not. Your top guys don't really have that experience is the issue. And that's what's going to end up hurting Chicago in the postseason. And that's, again, why I still think this season for the Bulls, their cap was the Eastern Conference Finals, which is great. Don't get me wrong. And we've talked about it. To do a 180 in the NBA, you need to bring in a superstar like a LeBron James or a Kevin Durant. That's how you win a championship from not making the postseason or just sucking to winning it the next year. If not, well, you got to go through some adversity. Sharpen that iron like the Rams, not like the Bengals who couldn't do the 180. That's why we picked the Rams. So this year, they'll probably get beat up in the postseason, have a bad gross loss in some series, and then next year, that's when you go all out. That's when you're expected to win the East. So don't be too disappointed. Don't beat yourself up too much. If you've been bragging about this Bulls team and now you can't do it as much, Rightfully so, you deserve to brag about the Bulls, and they deserve to praise themselves. They were number one in the East heading into the All-Star break despite all the injuries. And no one's discrediting that. I'm not taking that away from this team. I was on this Bulls train, or at least a DeRozan train, arguably more than anybody. And it's not over. It's not. You're a couple games back from Miami. You just got to win these games. I mean, you got to capitalize against the Hawks. You get a tough stretch, then second leg of a back-to-back on Friday against the Bucks. Need to win that one, revenging the Caruso game. And then you get the Sixers, who are probably, arguably, the best team in the NBA right now. Man, you need it for confidence, for self-boosting, and just to get the dub. But what does this mean for DeRozan? What does this mean for his MVP odds? He almost came back and did it against the Grizzlies. He didn't. Didn't really hit his or hurt his odds too much because it was a respectable effort, but Morant showed out. He set a career high on Saturday night. Then DeRozan only gets 18 and the Bulls get embarrassed at Miami. Well, DeRozan's still 12 to 1 at Bet Rivers. Embiid is now even money. Jokic is plus 250. Giannis drops to plus 550. John Morant also with DeRozan at 12 to 1. Steph Curry, after their embarrassing performance against the Mavericks, he drops down to 16 to 1. The conversation now, and I was joking with Scott Siderberg about it on his show on VEASAN late night, and it seems like there's a new MVP hot candidate every other week. I mean, it was Embiid, then it was DeRozan, and now it's going to be John Morant, presumably. I mean, what John Moran has done in these past two games is insane. I'm not going to lie. Dropped 46 at at the United Center. Bulls were the hot team. Bulls had DeRozan, who's in the MVP conversation. Morant said, screw that. I'm dropping a career high. Then last night, he drops 52. And not only does he drop 52, he makes a three from the logo. He has one of the best dunks of this season, arguably of his career, probably. And then he has that full court buzzer beater. From Steven Adams, he catches it literally mid-air, baseline, and knocks it down. I mean, you couldn't imagine putting those three highlights together in one game, let alone a freaking season. Yeah, Jaws absolutely in the conversation for MVP. I threw a little piece on it. Why not? 
And I'm not saying go out there and do it, but I'm just saying from a standpoint that, you know, I've got a decent amount of liability in some other spots, DeRozan being one of them. But, you know, it's also for the reasoning that, and if you're someone who looks to go at the value, relatively speaking, Morant's probably not going to be at 12 to 1 if he even keeps his close to remotely up. But the thing that kind of holds him back, and again, a lot of voters will reference this. A lot of it's the eye test. A lot of it's just straight up win-loss. And in the normal stats you handicap for some guys or just look at, rather like points per game, rebounds, assists, and all that. But statistically, really, when you look deep down, not as sound as you think. I mean, he's minus 0.7 in efficiency differential, courtesy of cleaning the glass. That's 46 percentile-wise, not great. And efficiency differential is team points scored per 100 possessions minus team points allowed per 100 possessions. He's also minus two in expected W, which is how many games would a team win with him and his efficiency differential. Defensively not that great. He's allowing his opponent plus 5.4 points per 100 possessions played. That's in the 11th percentile. So look, as flashy as he is, as great as he's done these past two games, Efficiency-wise, I don't know. I'm not going to say I don't know if it's going to last. But the Grizzly stardom, I don't think is going to take him too deep in the postseason. Again, a young team that, besides Moran, doesn't have a top scoring threat. And the funny thing is, Jaws the big favor for most improved player. You can't win both, right? I mean, you're in one or the other. So I don't think he should be most improved player because he was already kind of established and he said that he didn't even want the most improved player. Man, he's gunning for the MVP and he has a case. Now it's a little bit of recency bias, sure, but he's been great this whole season. Just these past two games, he's been outstanding. So am I panicking about DeRozan MVP? I wouldn't say panicking. I'd say the NBA is a game of spurts. Anybody can rise up for MVP conversation, as we have seen, on a week-to-week basis. We knew this stretch was going to be tough for DeRozan and the Bulls. If the Bulls can still finish above the Sixers, presumably in the two, ideally one, but two seed maybe, then yes, he can win. But if the Sixers go above the Bulls, no shot DeRozan wins MVP. It's going to be Embiid. It's going to be Embiid. So the Bulls got to win in correlation with DeRozan getting those stats. It's not going to be easy. And even if he doesn't win, and again, it's very, I'm just saying, even if he doesn't win, folks, long term when you're betting and you're getting that good of value saying we got 40 to 1, it got cut to 12 to 1, you're doing the right thing. It doesn't mean it was a bad bet per se. You got the best of the number. Now you just got to hope DeRozan plays through the rest of the way. That's all you can hope for. But Embiid is still the rightful favorite. Dropped 34 and 37 respectively with one double-double at the Garden since Harden's been in the mix. And people thought it wouldn't be that good of an acquisition. Ha! Come on. Come on. We got our plus 856ers ticket. We're sweating out for the Eastern Conference. I'm feeling pretty damn good about it. I get it. It's early. But how would that not have worked? At least in the regular season with instant success. And I guess that's in comparison to the Nets a little bit as we're more so people were saying it wouldn't work. But what's interesting also going back to DeMar DeRozan, uh, Casey Johnson tweeted this out. So DeMar DeRozan narrowly missed averaging 35 points for February. 
And Casey said he looked up how many times Michael Jordan averaged 35 points over a month for the Bulls. Happened 12 times, including the entire 1986-87 season in which he averaged a career-high 37 points per game. My goodness. If that doesn't put things into perspective, I don't know what will. But another popular conversation involving Morant and the Bulls is, who's better? Who would you take? John Moran or D. Rose in his MVP season, meaning his prime. Well, Moran did come to the building that Rose thrived in when he was MVP and dropped 46. And then he came back and dropped 52 last night. Overall, Moran shooting 50% from the floor, 34.4% from deep, and 75.4% from the charity stripe. Now, Rose... He was at 25 points per game during his MVP season. Morant had 27.6 points per game. Rose's, or Rose got excuse me, 7.7 assists per game. Morant's at 6. Uh, Rebounding-wise, I don't think they put D. Rose's re... Oh, he had a... I think he had just like 4, like about 4.1 or 4.4 rebounds per game or something like that. I wrote the stats wrong, but it was a little bit over 4 rebounds per game. Morant is at 6. He was at 6.6 assists, 6 rebounds. Rose shot 44% from the floor. Again, Morant shooting 50%. And averaging about 2.5 more points than him per game. The Bulls did finish, what, number 1 in the Eastern Conference that year, right? They're both in their third season. That's a comparison. At first, I kind of scoffed at it like, come on, I I get it. It's still a little bit different in age. It, It... progressively and continuously keeps being more and more of a scoring league, right? So that would benefit Morant in a sense. But, I again, guys, I love Derrick Rose, my favorite player growing up. Cried when he tore his ACL as a kid. But, I mean, how can you really dispute it right now? Morant has the better numbers. Does that mean he's a more efficient player? Maybe not. Maybe not. But the argument is absolutely there. You can't really dispute anybody who says, yeah, I would take John Morant this season over what Derrick Rose did in his MVP year. It's all relative to the competition that year. And Derrick Rose was the rightful MVP that season, folks. I mean, what, looking at his MVP year, he had a plus 8 expected win, plus 4.2 differential. So, yeah, in those numbers, he was better than... Moran and better defensively, not by much, but he was. <laughs> I mean, Moran's electric. He's padding those stats, baby. Not to say Rose wasn't, but wow. It's an interesting topic. Doesn't matter because you're not having to choose between them, but the comparisons definitely are there, and Moran does have a case. We'll see how he ends the season, though. Trust me, I love me some D Rose, but Moran's making a strong case, folks. All right, coming up next here on the Chicago City Cast, let me give you a play I'm probably rocking with tonight in college basketball. And then let's talk about some of those Major League Baseball negotiations and what the hell may be happening with the postseason. Coming up next, stick around. It's the Chicago City Cast.
Bet Rivers Sportsbook wants you to experience rush pay. When you want to cash out your winnings, you don't want to wait two days just to get the go ahead to withdraw your money. That's why Bet Rivers created Rush Pay. With Rush Pay, 80% of withdrawal requests are approved instantly, meaning you'll get your money faster. Why wait? Get your cash when you want it. Bet with a winner. Bet with Bet Rivers Sportsbook at BetRivers.com. Not valid for any participant of the Illinois Gaming Board statewide voluntary self exclusion program. Must be 21 years of age or older. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1 800 Gambler. 1 800 426 Okay, let's talk a little bit of college hoops here on the Chicago City Cast, presented by Bet Rivers. A really solid night in the Big Ten this evening. My alma mater are going to get embarrassed by Ohio State. Michigan State and Michigan, an interesting matchup. Didn't hate the idea of taking the points with the Spartans, but again, you know me, uh, not the biggest college basketball better at this point. Bad product, hate trusting these kids, but sometimes there's a good spot. That could be one. Arizona against USC, Wildcats lane four in the hook, could be one. Actually might end up live betting that game with Zona on the money line. But the game that I think is the most exciting this evening is a Purdue-Wisconsin matchup in Madison. Purdue, open two and a half, now up to three. 8 p.m. Central time, total at 144.5. I think Purdue is the better team. I think a lot of people would say that, and the odds kind of indicate it. Moneyline minus 157 for the Boilermakers. Badgers catching plus 130 on the buyback. So slight movement to Purdue. But does that mean it's worth a bet? Well, and I'm not just maybe, you know, going against Wisconsin because they screwed me in that one game. It wasn't even that close. I just am exaggerating, obviously, because, you know, I never exaggerate. Um, But Purdue, look, here's the thing. Wisconsin, they're coming off a 66-61 win at Rutgers on Saturday. Okay, solid win. Rutgers has been playing well. Purdue on the other side, well, maybe it was a look-ahead spot because they lost at Michigan State. Tyson Walker at a three-pointer with 11 seconds left for Michigan State. Boilermakers committed 17 turnovers. That led to 16 points in that game. Not going to say it's uncharacteristic, but not to that point. The Badgers have beaten Purdue this season. In early January, 74-69. That was at Purdue. And they can clinch a share of the Big Ten regular season title with a victory tonight. But Purdue, even though they kind of get in these lulls, these disappointing gaps, seldom does it happen. When it does, it's pretty exaggerated. They are second in the Big Ten in offense. They're not great defensively, 11th. But they do lead the conference with a 12.8 point scoring margin. Interesting tidbit, Boilermakers are 0-5 when scoring fewer than 70 points. But the good thing about the Boilermakers is they do it often because they have four players who average in double figures offensively. Plus, they out-rebound their opponents by 9.6 rebounds per game. They had the lead against Wisconsin in the first matchup, but the Badgers came back from a 49-42 deficit. Their star player Davis went off for a career-high 37 points and 14 rebounds. Who's going to stop him this game? Edie had 24 points and 10 rebounds for Purdue. Solid double-double, no doubting it. But can Purdue bounce back? Will they be ticked off after their loss, after they know that they already lost to Wisconsin, knowing that this should be their Big Ten title? I think they do. Ken Pomp has Purdue ranked 13th overall, Wisconsin 27th. Field goal percentage, Purdue's at over 50%. Wisconsin is at 43%. 
three-point percentage. Purdue at 40%, Wisconsin at under 32%. Rebounding, Purdue gets over 38 rebounds per game, Wisconsin gets 35. I don't like playing minus 157 or around there, minus 155 with this Purdue team. I wish I could have got like in the 130s or something. <laughs> but you know me, I hate laying the short spread. I'd rather go money line. So if you're looking to get involved in this game, if you still get the two in the hook, depending on what the money line is, I don't know. Long story short, I like Purdue in this spot. I'll probably end up playing them on the money line. Wanting to wait to see if it drops, but the juice still is on Purdue, so it's probably only going to get higher. So I'm looking to take Purdue tonight for my third college basketball bet of the season. All right, but let's move on to some baseball, folks. My goodness, it's been a hectic 24 hours. If you follow any baseball accounts, Nightingale, uh, Jesse Rogers, Heyman, they've been going crazy, uh, passing as well, obviously. But it seems like there's progress being made. They procrastinated to the last moment possible. Then they extended the deadline, I think, to like Tuesday at 5 p.m. But I think the most interesting thing that came about is this playoff expansion proposal. So John Heyman tweeting, Major League Baseball has offered two different deals depending on whether there's a 14-team postseason or a 12-team postseason. 14-team deal includes significant increase in minimum salary and bonus pool money. Major League Baseball clearly desires 14. Do we need to expand it at all in the first place? Look, I'm all for giving my team a better opportunity so I can watch them inevitably lose in the postseason. But doesn't that kind of defeat the purpose of having such an elongated 162-game, grueling, gritty season? That's what a lot of players are advocating for in terms of that it would diminish that. So I guess the speculation of this earlier, like in November, is that the idea is the playoff field would include three divisional winners in each league and four wildcard berths for uh, each league. The teams with the best record in each league would get a buy into the best of the five divisional series or to the best of five divisional series. While the two remaining or while the remaining two division winners could pick their first round opponent from the bottom three wildcard teams. I don't know what the hell they're trying to say. I mean, I kind of do, but, you know, no reason to speculate till it comes to fruition. But do you want more teams in the postseason? Obviously, it's a money grab by Major League Baseball. But again, it, it, it diminishes the reward for a 162-game season, I feel like. And it seems like a lot of other players do as well. I mean, if you add a couple of expansion teams, Las Vegas, a popular market, um... I forget where the other market is they were saying for a baseball team. Was it somewhere in Canada? I don't know. I could be wrong. Nevertheless, if that's the case, all right, I get it. And no, no one eventually, if it happens, really, I mean, most people probably aren't going to complain about more baseball and more postseason baseball. But again, I just, it seems unnecessary. I like the addition of the wild card team. I like the addition of the NFL playoff teams, but I, I don't know, man. I'm trying to find this tweet to see um, what people were saying really quick. So, yeah, I mean, if you get the expansion, so the argument if you do get the expansion 32 teams, again, that's not going to be immediate, but 
It helps with the schedule. You don't have mandatory interleague games. You don't have to do the two-game series. Plenty of markets that can support an MLB team, of course, and creates more MLB jobs. Jeff Erickson was tweeting about it. Uh, he's our guy in Rush Hour, one of our favorite baseball guests over at Roto-Wire. So uh, I'll have to get him on soon. But, yeah, he was going into it, and he makes some good points. But, yeah, I don't know. You're just cutting the teams in half virtually after 162 games. It just seems like almost more participation trophy. Like, all right, you did well enough. Okay, come in the postseason. So I don't know. But let me know what you think about it. If it goes to 12, okay. 14 just seems like a lot. But it's, it's getting annoying. I know they're going to end up making a deal. They're going to get progress. They'll get there. It's just like, why couldn't this have been figured out in a more efficient way? Because that would have been too easy and that would have made too much sense. And that's not how the world works. You know that. This free agency is going to be insane though afterward. Some players are already talking about that. But, man, I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll make us appreciate the sport even more, even though Manfred tries to do the quite opposite of that. But that's his mantra. But I'm looking forward to it. Love talking baseball. Love betting baseball. And we'll be doing plenty of it if we get it this season here on the Chicago City Cast. But that's going to do it for another episode, folks. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at DannyBurke5. Catch my show, Rush Hour. We'll have plenty of guests talking more than just what we did today. Different bets, a lot of good things. VSIN.com, 5 to 6 p.m. Central Time, iHeartRadio, Marquee Sports Network, Fubo TV, Sling TV, YouTube TV, and the Xfinity app. We've got you covered. We'll be off tomorrow for an episode, but Thursday, come Thursday, we'll have a preview of the Bulls and the Hawks game, and hopefully we can have some positive things to say about it. But best of luck with all your wagers, folks, and until Thursday, take care. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.